I want to welcome you to the ninth installment, the final installment of our series, Misfits. If you're new with us today, welcome to church. I'm so glad that you're here. Church online, listening to the podcast, watching on YouTube, however you may be gathering this. But this is the final week in a collection of sermons we're calling Misfits, where what we've been doing throughout this series is studying the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament together. It's a letter written by the Apostle Peter to churches in various places in Asia Minor. And he is calling them to the same calling that you and I are called to on today, because we are called to be. And in this season, we have been working to become on an even greater level misfits. Because that's the calling of God on your life and on mine, not to fit into the customary patterns of this world, not to just amalgamate and assimilate ourselves into what is normal all around us, but to be misfits, to be people who step out and stand apart, not because we better than other people, not because we think we've got it all together, but because we walk in the way that Jesus has called us to, because we know that he's not just our savior, he's our example. And so as we look at First Peter together, we have been discovering what this means for our lives, how we deal with difficulty, how we deal with opposition, how we navigate situations, how we love and respect and treat people. And if you have missed any of this or all of this, it's all available on our website at believing.church. It's all available on our podcast, on our YouTube channel. It's all there, and I would so encourage you to catch up. I would so encourage you to listen back to something you have missed or maybe share this series with a friend. But today, somebody in that chat say today. Today, I would love for you to just digest one more time this reality we've been speaking, this reality that many people in our church have been living all summer that I am a misfit. I am a misfit. In this season of our church, if you're joining us uh, in, in real time, you're joining us as this is going on, we are in the summer season. We're actually concluding the summer season here. And many people have been not just hearing about being a misfit, but living out the ways of a misfit. And I just wanna shout out those of you who've been taking steps all throughout this season. You've been gathering with us at church, in person or online, and making it a priority to gather, making it a priority to worship, making it a priority to hear God's word, to apply it to your heart, and shout out to you. That's being a misfit in this season. Because there are many people who use the summer season as an opportunity to disconnect themselves from church, to disconnect themselves maybe from the house of God, to disconnect themselves to the, the, the regular practice of prioritizing, gathering with God's people, hearing God's word. But you haven't, and so shout out to you because you are a misfit. There have been people throughout our church, people in our community, who all summer long have been, have been serving, whether through paint parties and grocery drive-throughs and neighborhood cleanups and whatever it may be. You've been rolling up your sleeves and saying, we ain't just going to talk about being here for good. We're going to be here for good. There are many people who've gotten involved on teams who have stepped into leadership this summer. And, and if that's you, thank you. If you haven't, what are you waiting for? Baby, this is the time because you are a misfit. People have stepped into community, joining us at restaurant meetups or coming to parties, coming early to service, staying late, talking with people in the chat, whatever it may look like for you, but finding and forging new relationships, new friendships 
in this season. Maybe it's not what everybody else is doing, but it's what you're doing because you are a misfit. Now, in light of all of this that we celebrate, and I could go on, I could talk about worship night. I could talk about all these moments and all of these things that you have prioritized, that you have stepped out of what's normal and what's common to do something different. There's one final word in the book of 1 Peter, this letter that Peter writes that I want to draw our attention to because it's so clear, it's so powerful, and it's so misunderstood. As we conclude 1 Peter today with really the majority of chapter 5, he draws our attention to this one command given to misfits. And it's the title of our sermon on today, if you got the notes available on our website, like, be humble. Today, for a few moments, I want to charge you in this reality, misfits, I want, to, I want to push you in what this truth, this command really means, to be humble. It's been said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. And I think that's true on a level. I think on one level, the idea of just simply thinking about yourself and not being consumed and always compelled by me and mine, not being overrun and overwhelmed and preoccupied and preset on everything's got to be about me is an aspect of humility. But as misfits, there's more to this idea of being humble than simply thinking about myself less, than simply taking on the caricature that many people think of as humility. Because Peter gives us a charge. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He gets very, very direct. And he tells us to be humble. Somebody in that chat right now, just type be humble. If you're listening to the podcast, maybe you just say out loud, going on your walk, listening to this in your car, say be humble. As we begin to explore our, our scripture on today and wrap up the whole of 1 Peter, I want to take a half a step back in order to take a step forward. If you join us for part eight, Isaac uh, preached and preached through the first five verses of the book of 1 Peter. And as he was ending, he began to get into this idea of humility because that's what Peter gets into. And so I actually want to begin as we look today recapping verse 5 just in our reading perspective because it segues us into the beginning part of verse 6, which is where we're going to start today. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and then really just two words of verse 6 to get us started on today. Here's the way the scripture reads. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Some translations will put the next word before these two and say, therefore, humble yourselves. What Peter is doing here is he's quoting a line from the book of Proverbs chapter 3. In fact, that line, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, is literally him lifting a thought that Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs. It was a common thought among probably many of the people he was writing to because they had memorized the Torah. They had held these uh, wisdom writings in their heart. They knew what we call the Old Testament scriptures. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. There are steps in our faith journey 
that at times we believe we can't do. If you've been to church a few times or you've listened to sermons a few times, you've read the scripture a few times, I bet there have been moments where what you read or what you heard or what you uh, wrote down in your notes, you said, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can act like that, think like that, operate like that, choose to be like that. And so our common response when we feel this is to pray about it, right? We start praying. We say, God, help me to help me to forgive. And God, and God, help me to be gracious. And God, help me to, to, to give this to you. And, and God, and God, I, 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 I trust you. And we start praying these, these things. And that's a wonderful thing to do. It's a wonderful discipline. It's a wonderful habit. It's a wonderful practice to begin to pray about the things that God has called you to do. To begin to pray about the things that he's asking you to do. To be people that turn to him and run to him in prayer and say, God, you can handle this. God, you can change this. God, you can work this out. But there are also steps in our faith journey that we're not supposed to pray about. We're supposed to be about First Peter chapter five, verse five, tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter is reminding them of this idea, and then he says very clearly, humble yourself. He doesn't say pray about humbling yourself. He doesn't say talk to two or three people to see whether or not they think you are conceited or not. He, he doesn't say, why don't you begin to offer to God and begin to talk to God about, about somehow, some way, your heart becoming a little more humble, your mind becoming, he doesn't say that. He says, humble yourself. He said, there's a thing that you need to do, and you need to humble you. Humble yourselves. In other words, what he's saying is you need to take the steps and do the things to become humble. Because if you stay proud, God will resist you. But if you humble you, God will give you grace. That's what we just read. I just remixed the words to make it make a little more sense to you. Humble yourselves. Now, the idea of humility in the Christian faith, in the Christian person, is not a new idea. But without context, we've turned humility as a Jesus follower into a personality, into a caricature. And sometimes we don't feel, some of us, like we can fit into that caricature. Sometimes we don't feel like we can take on that personality because we think of humility as a personality, not as what Peter is actually getting at or what Jesus has called us to. See, why is it to some people that to be a Jesus follower, you got to talk quietly? Don't ever raise your voice. You should just smile. Be an encouragement. That's what you should do because you love Jesus. Yes, you do. Why, why is it that we think that to be a Jesus follower, you have to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, yes, sir, and no, sir? Why is it that we think to be a Jesus follower, to a certain extent, you got to be a pushover or never get agitated about situations? Because you're, you're supposed to be humble, and humble people just talk nice, and they don't really raise their voice, and they don't really get too bent out of shape, but yet you see atrocities in the world, and you're like, I can't not get bent out of shape. See, the Jesus that I serve, the Jesus that is presented to us in scriptures, the Jesus who lived, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who bled for me, um, 
He don't look like the definition that we put on humble sometimes. In fact, I don't think he fits into the mold, the caricature that is humility that some of us think of when we start thinking about humility. Because my Jesus got so angry at situations that were going on in his world that he walked into the church house and started turning over tables because he said, it ain't going to be like this. My father's house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations, not just certain people, not just people who can afford it, all people. That action doesn't look like the caricature that we call humility many times. See, my Jesus got invited to parties because I think my Jesus was the life of the party. I mean, you got to be the life of the party to be invited to as many parties as Jesus was invited to. Jesus was always, hey, come over to my house and eat. Hey, come to the wedding that I'm throwing. You don't get invited to things like that if you just like, like Miss Wallflower and you blend in, never talk to nobody, never crack a joke. People that get invited to that kind of stuff, they like, I want them there because I know my party going to get a little bit spicier because they there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know we're going to have a good time because anytime they're around, we have a good time. But yeah, for some of us, that type of personality doesn't fit into the personality that we call humility. We think we should always you know, be very soft and calculated in our words, but not my Jesus. Jesus spoke with such conviction and clarity and command that in one particular instance, the people around him who were religious people wanted to push him off of a cliff just because of what he was saying. See, that doesn't fit some people's definition of humility. I think often about the statement Jesus makes to be wise as a serpent and meek as a dove. The problem is many of us, our definition of humility only takes into account one aspect of this like they're a choice, as opposed to being the tension that they're supposed to create. You're supposed to operate with the, with the sharpness, with the cunning nature, with the reservations of a serpent, but also be meek as a dove. That tension is where you're supposed to be. That tension is where you're supposed to live. That tension is where humble people operate. But for most of us, humility only looks like being meek as a dove. If you're taking notes today, I'd love for you to write this idea down. But being humble does not mean being helpless. The church of Jesus does not need more helpless Christians, does not need more Christians that don't have backbones. <laughs> does not need more Christians that don't have convictions, does not need more Christians who in the name of humility won't ever speak up or speak out, won't ever stand up or step out. No, 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 no. Being humble doesn't mean being helpless. So to every person who ever felt like maybe you couldn't really follow Jesus because you got a bit of a backbone, you said, I don't know if I can really follow this Jesus because I got too much attitude. I don't know if I can really follow Jesus because I have some strong opinions. I can't know if I really follow Jesus because you're talking about him always having to be super humble and never saying something. And I got too much sauce for this. Hear me. God can use and God wants to use all that and more. Because ain't none of that prevent you from being humble. Ain't none of that prevent me from being humble. But yet, you are to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself. Which would lead to the primary question on today. 
how do you humble you? If humility is maybe something more for us as misfits than simply thinking less about ourselves, how do you, how do I humble ourselves? What does it look like? What are the steps that we take? How does this operate? Well, I'm thankful that Peter makes this really, really clear as he ends this writing. Because he gives them a clear charge with a, a strong warning. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves. And he doesn't just leave this as some open idea. But he gives very practically a few ways that you and I humble ourselves. So I want to walk through these, show you these as scripture, but more than that, I want to bring them very practically into your life, into what humility actually looks like in your life. Because I'm convinced right now that some of you that think you're humble might be the most proud people in the bunch. And some of you that don't think humility is actually something you could ever attain are maybe closer to humility than you think. There are some of you that are trying to walk out what it means to operate and to live with humility. But the reality is maybe the road you're on down humility isn't even the road you're supposed to be on. Some of you think you've brought humility to an area of your life, an aspect of your life. But it's, it, it, you're, you're bringing the facade, you're bringing the caricature, you're fitting the common idea in our world of humility. Not what the scripture calls us to as humility. And so let's explore these together. If you're ready, somebody in that chat, somebody listening to the podcast, just say or type, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. See, you humble you when you trust God with what worries you. What does humility look like? You humble you when you start trusting God with what worries you. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's the way the scripture reads. Humble yourselves. We've read those words. I ain't even going to talk about them no more. We've, we've read them enough. We've talked about them enough. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now, these two verses, this one sentence has some bars within it that are repeated in church circles all the time, right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he will lift you up. I mean, that's what people tell you when they're trying to tell you you should take on this caricature. Come on, lower yourself. Think about yourself less. Say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Yes, sir, and no, sir. You just be humble. God will lift you up. Or, or, or one that I, 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 I say all the time, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Broken apart, there's truth in these. But we actually miss the point of both by separating them. See, by disconnecting these ideas, we actually miss the idea, the calling, the challenge, the how you humble you, unless we connect them. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. How do we do this, Peter? You cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. See, the problem is, is because we've separated these, many of us started to think that we cast all our cares on God when we offer that care as a prayer request. 
You didn't. Some of us think we cast all our cares on God when we uh, bow our head and close our eyes and we say, God, would you heal? God, would you provide? God, would you save? God, would you deliver? And maybe to a point. But that's not all or maybe even the majority of what it is, what it means, what it looks like to cast your cares on him. Because he says to humble yourself. And the way you humble yourself is you cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Friend, you didn't cast all your cares on God when you prayed about it. But you did cast all your cares on God when you did what God said do with it. Oh, there is a difference. I'm not just talking about you saying, saying, God, would you meet this need? God, would you provide? God, would you show up? No, 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 no. I'm talking about you actually do what God said do in that area of your life. When you do that thing, you have taken that thing and you have cast it on God. And you said your way is higher than my way. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You have said, I am not going to carry this. I am not going to stress over this. I am not going to allow this to operate and overwhelm and manipulate my life. I'm going to give this to you. Whenever you trust somebody else with your problem, that takes and creates humility. You humble you when you trust God with what worries you. See, because you will not be worried about those things you have given fully to God. Whatever you have fully surrendered to God, fully placed in his hands, fully said, I am going to do what you said do in this area of my life. I'm gonna do what you said do with this situation. Any place, any area where you do that, you don't worry about. What do I mean? I mean that you decide that there, I'm doing what God says, how he says in that area. And when that is true of you, worry does not grab you. Worry can't lead you. You actually humble yourself by saying, rather than me worry about it, I'm going to trust God with it. It's amazing to me how many people are, even people who call themselves people of faith, who are trapped by fears about death. Now, hear me, I don't want to die. But I'm not afraid to. I mean, whether, whether God graces me with five more hours or 50 more years doesn't really matter to me. That's why I find it funny when people who say they're people of faith get real worried about uh, where they live or what's going on. Or I don't want to get hurt. L listen, God, God either can and does protect you or he can't protect you. God either has his hand on your life to do something or he doesn't. And I'm not saying run around, be stupid, but I am saying like, it's amazing to me how many people get so, so worried, so, so uptight, eh, eh, rather than recognizing that, that, that God is the one who breathed life into you, and he's the one who can take life out of you if he needs to. If you're done, baby, you will be done. But some people get so worried, so um, distraught about all that's going on around them. But yeah, they're supposed to have faith in God. See, for me, 
I mean, I, I love my life. I love my family. I love our city. I love the church. I love the work that God has called us to do. I love the things that have been going. I love the things that are just getting started. But I also know that when my time here is done, to be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. That when you don't find Michael uh, with these glasses and his beard, you don't find me looking like I look. Like if I ain't occupying this physical space, baby, you best know I am present with the Lord. And so I'm not worried about this life ending for me. That doesn't mean I don't want to be here. It just means I ain't worried about it. So I don't get, I don't get too stressed out about, about am I going to live? Am I going to die? Is this going to happen? Is this, I, don't, I just don't get too worried about it. You know why? Because I actually believe what Jesus has said. And I have put fully in his hands my life. And if he needs me here or he wants me here, he's going to let me be here. And if he's done with me here, whoop, I'm gone. <laughs> like, and I'm okay with that. Because what I find on the other end of it is I don't, I don't worry because I fully trust God with my life. And I fully believe in the salvation he has promised me. I got to be honest, I think many of the people, particularly those who are loosely connected to church or loosely connected to faith, religion or spirituality, maybe this is you, that if you find yourself very worried about death, may I just uh, put a pin there for a second and say, maybe the reason you're so worried about death is you don't know what happens after you die. That you don't believe with faith that to be absent in your body is to be present with the Lord. That the conviction that I may have, maybe you don't have. And so you're real worried because, because you don't know what happens to you once you leave this body. You don't know what happens to you once your time here is done. You're, you're, you're so worried about it. You haven't trusted God with it. You humble you when you trust God with what worries you. Some of you, you don't even realize the worry that would fall off of you if you would trust your present and your future to God. Believing that salvation is found in no one else. Believing that this life isn't nothing more than a vapor. We're here and then we're gone. But he's going to take care of you. When you have that hope, when you have that faith, when you have that confidence, can I tell you something? You won't worry like you worry anymore because humility in that area will take over you. This may sound strange to some of you. And it's going to cause you to make a bunch of assumptions that I'm just going to correct because they're not true. But I don't worry about money. That doesn't mean I'm rich, because I'm not rich. Ain't never been rich. <laughs> uh, our, our church isn't rich. There are churches that have war chests of money just sitting around. They've had $10 million in the bank for the last 30 years. And that's just, they, they ain't got any worries because they got $10 million in them. You know, like, that, that ain't us. But I don't worry about money. Personally, with, with, with my family, I don't, I don't get stressed about money with our church I don't worry about money now hear me I budget I steward I plan I work hard I, I try to do everything I can control to to use well whatever God's given me to make more with whatever God's given me. like so we hear me but I don't worry about money I used to but I don't anymore. And the reason I don't worry about money isn't because I pray about money. 
The reason I don't worry about money is because I do what God said to do with the money he's already given me. In my household, the first of everything God gives me, we return to him through his local church. We bring the tithe, which the scripture teaches us is the first 10% of all God gives us. We return that to God through the local church. And it won't make sense to nobody except those people who've been tithing for a while. But I can't tell you the kind of release it puts on you and on your perception of money when you realize, because when you return the first 10%, what you're saying is, God, you are my source. And humility comes over you when you realize you're actually not your economic source. So I don't worry about money. I have seen God provide too many ways for me personally, for my family. I've seen God provide too many unexpected ways for our church. We, 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 we've never had tons and tons and tons of excess. But God has taken care of us. And he continues to take care of us. And he continues to make a way so we can do the good he's called us to do. And I believe when there's opportunity for it, he will bring like he always does. So I don't worry about it. I don't get stressed and complain over what I don't have or we don't have. I don't worry about it. Because I do what God says with my money. Which would lead me to say that if you're listening to me now and you find yourself overly worried about money all the time, maybe, friend, it's because you don't do what God said with your money. I'm not saying you don't pray about money, but you don't do what he said. Remember what Peter says, humble yourselves. Can I tell you when it comes to the area of our finances, there are some clear things that God has said do. And if you don't do those things that he said do, baby, you can pray till you is blue in your little smurfy face. You will never experience the peace because you will never humble yourself enough to say, God, I trust you in this area more than I trust me. I'm not worried about my influence. There are people who do what I do who are so worried about their influence. So worried about shaking the right hands, being in the right rooms, being seen at the right conferences. I don't worry about that. God will open doors no man can shut for me. You know how I know that? Because he has. And I don't need to go trying to peacock my way around something so people will notice me and see, oh, I got, that ain't about that life. There's too much work to do. I ain't worried about my influence. I try to not be worried about my desires. I, 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 I give what I want to God and say, God, help me to have what you want me to have. Because I know you'll give me the desires of my heart when my desires are set on you. So, so I try to shift my desires. So I'm not worried about what it is I want. Can I tell you, I'm not worried about my family. Some of you are stressed too much over your kids. You know why? Because you think your kids are your kids. Rather than believing that God actually cares for your kids more than you care for your kids. Some of you are so stressed about your husband, so stressed about your wife, so stressed about your grandmother, so stressed about your cousin, your nephew. Hear me. Maybe, just maybe, you could humble yourself and realize God cares more about them. He's a better provider, a better leader. That doesn't recuse you from being a part of the situation, but yet it does release you from carrying all the pressure to say they are safe in his hands. Because you will not be worried. About those things you've given fully to God. 
And if you find yourself overwhelmed with worry in some area of your life, can I tell you, friend, it's because you haven't given that thing, that area, fully to God. But also, you will be worried about those things that you haven't given fully to God. Meaning, in any place in your life where you're not doing what he says, how he says in that area, you'll worry. Now, now you may not know this about me, um, because this is a relatively simple flaw, (laughs) uh, simple struggle, simple sin to cover up. But I have and do fight bitterness. A lot. See, um, I tell people I ain't just from Memphis. I am Memphis. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the the character traits that come out in me really do symbolize our city. I feel like sometimes I'm an embodiment of what a lot of us we live through. Doesn't make me special. It's just I see myself in it. I ain't gonna pass up a good opportunity to be petty. You know what I'm saying? Like I am. I am Memphis. In my whole life, I've had people walk out on me. People who said they were going to be with me. People who said they loved me. People who said they were for me. Better opportunity came along for them and they said, see ya. I have, uh, I've had people use me for their good, suck all the, all the good out of me they wanted, and then discard me and talk bad about me. It still happens. I've had those who were supposed to be there for me not be there for me. And while those may sound like very normal instances, and they are, I think many of us have had situations like that that we could put names, places, people, times, dates to. I find myself wanting to get them back. Like, letting it go? (laughs) Easier said than done. And I don't make light of it to try to trivialize my own struggle. I tell you about it because, quite honestly, this is an area where it is difficult for me to trust God. I don't trust God with these things that have happened sometimes. I find it really more like in seasons. Like there will be moments where it's like, all right, God, I ain't even worried about that. God, I forgive, I let go. But then something will happen or something will get harder. I'll see something. And that bitterness will well back up inside of me. And that's why the scripture says, don't allow the root of bitterness. Don't just keep trimming the leaves of bitterness. Don't allow the root to be in the soil. Because baby, if the root's in there, it'll spring back up again. So I'll just be innocently sitting online and see somebody who at one time, you know, loved me, I was their best friend, all this kind of stuff. Now they don't even ever want to call me back. And I see them traveling the country, going to conferences, speaking in front of thousands of people. And it's funny, I'll see little highlights of the stuff that they're teaching. And you know whose stuff they're teaching? Mine! (laughs) Like, I got the manuscripts. (laughs) You know where that thought, you know where that lesson came from? And petty me wants to post like, 
Oh, that's a neat thought. Where'd you learn that? <laughs> you know, petty me wants to dig into my archives and timestamp when I taught that lesson for the first time. Like petty me <laughs> wants to be like, oh, that's a neat sermon illustration. I wonder where you found that out. Petty me. And that's not good. Petty me sees stuff online. The internet is a beautiful place and a terrible place. Petty me will uh, see people celebrating something they were told was God. God did. Look at this miracle. But I know it wasn't God as much as it was deception, lies, and not keeping promises. You know why? Because the deception, the lies, and the not keeping promises all happened to me. <laughs> and because I was deceived, because I was lied to, because promises weren't kept to me, now God did a miracle somewhere. Petty me. It's not good. And I don't make light of it to try to lessen the fact that this is just, can I tell you? My bitterness is just as real and just as an obstacle in the humility that God's trying to develop in me. That he is calling me to, as it is for those of you that heard me talk about uh, being able to trust God with your money. And you know you don't. You know you don't tithe. You don't give. You ain't, you ain't giving one dollar to the church in the entire year. And you know that. Can I tell you, my bitterness is just as severe as that. So please do not like, like think I'm trying to make light of one and make heavy of what I do well. No, 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 no. I ain't like that. But I need you to see that I too have cares that I haven't fully given to God. And I think for me in this area, what it comes down to is the fact that I guess I don't actually trust the one who said he would judge justly. That I want to get my flowers. I want to make people know, I want to make sure people know who the bad, who the bad apples are in a bunch. I want to make sure, I want to. But when God is like, I got this, trust me with this, this ain't your fight. It's hard. You see, humility develops wherever you trust God. You want to humble yourself, trust God there. Because humility develops wherever you trust God. And hear me, write the other side down too. Pride develops wherever you trust you. This is the tension. Humble yourselves because if you don't humble yourself, pride will take over you. See, it's the pride in me that allows the root of bitterness to sit there instead of digging it up, throwing it away, and making sure it never comes back again. But it's the pride in you that believes you're a better steward of your finances than God is provider to your finances. It's the pride in you that believes that you're a better controller and provider and developer of your children than God is. It's the, it's the pride in you that says you're, 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 you're a better manager of this life and life is better if you keep it in control rather than trusting God with your life. Humility develops wherever you trust God and pride develops wherever you trust you. The reason you're not humble there is because you trust you more than you trust God there. See, and that actually is the cure for worry. 
Some of you live your life so worried. Some of you woke up this morning wrecked by worry. That was the first thought you had about yourself. I'm so worried. I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. And I'm worried about this bill and I'm worried about this relationship and I'm worried about the job and I'm worried about all these things. Hear me. The cure for worry is humility. To trust God enough to do what he says. Trust that what God says about forgiveness, to trust what God says about our finances, to trust what God says about serving, to trust what God says about my future, to trust what God says about my marriage, to trust what God says about my children, is what matters most. So what are you worried about? What are you worried about? I bet whatever you're worried about is a place you know that you're not doing what God wants. But I promise you this, if you'll do what God wants there in time, you won't worry because you've given him that care. Cast all your cares on him. Do what he said with that thing that you're so worried about. Humble yourself. You humble you when you trust God with what worries you. But you also humble you, write this down, when you trust God despite what opposes you. Verses 8 and 9, listen to what it says. Peter says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Can I tell you something as he moves forward and we develop more humility, as we be humble, that how you view opposition in your life is a clear reflection of your humility. How you view opposition. Because if everybody's out to get you, can I tell you, you ain't that humble. If you don't see it through the lens of faith, you don't see it through the lens that God is in control. You think that only good things should come to your life because you went to church, because you've been praying the prayer. Listen, it says something about your humility. See, a lot of us, we're a lot more like Job's wife than we are Job. Some of you are unfamiliar with the book of Job. It's a writing, a story in the Old Testament, but it's actually one of the first recorded stories in all of the scripture. Many scholars and historians believe Job was a contemporary of Abraham. We get to Abraham like very early on in the scriptures, okay? Uh, like very early in Genesis. So the, a very early story. In Job, the scripture says, had, had lots. He, uh, he was married, had a beautiful family, had businesses, had resources, had great health. Uh, just the life that everybody would want. And... The Satan went to God and said, hey, uh, the reason Job serves you is because his life is so good. And God said, bet, see what you can do with Job. Uh, I don't care, but uh, you don't kill him. And the Satan did everything but kill him. Actually, all the people who worked for him died. <laughs> uh, he lost all of his money, lost all of his companies, lost all of his resources. His children died. Sores infected his body. He went from having everything to literally having basically nothing. It was Job infected with disease, and his wife comes to him, who's the only person still in his life, and looks at him and says, Job, are you still trying to honor God? Curse God and die. Look at all this bad stuff that's happened to you. Curse God and die. Job said, should we only accept good from God? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And there are many of us that our attitude's a lot more like her than him. If things are good in our life, we all about God. But if things get difficult, we like, God, why do you hate me? God, what's wrong with me? Can I tell you, that is a sign of pride. Because Peter says, part of how we humble ourselves is when we trust God despite what opposes us. That doesn't mean difficulties won't be tough, but hear me. It does not mean that God has left you. In fact, maybe it means that the enemy's worried about you. You know, there's some folks I believe the enemy ain't worried about. He looks at some of y'all and he'd be like, let's not even waste our time with them. They're they going to take care of them, so they're going to screw this up anyway. Don't even worry about them. But her, woo, call in some reinforcements. See, they get worried, the enemy does, about these misfits who are going to serve when other people say, I, I ain't about serving no more. I'm going to be about me. I need some rest. <laughs> Uh, he gets worried about those who say they're going to give even when money is tight. He gets worried about those who say they're going to pray even though it feels like the heavens are, are, have iron gates. He gets worried about those who say, I'm going to continue to bless the Lord at all times. That his praise will continually be. He gets worried about them. And maybe the reason sometimes you see and feel opposition is because you actually doing something. Some of you think the reason there's no opposition in your life is because you're serving God. May I contend that maybe the reason there's no opposition in your life is because you ain't doing nothing for God. Every step I take, trying to follow God more, trying to do what he's called me to do, trying to make a difference, I feel opposition grow. But that's when you got to have a deep well of his word inside of you that reminds you that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, he shall condemn. A deep well that reminds you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A deep well that reminds you that if God be for me, who can be against me? A deep well inside of you. See, you humble you when you trust God despite what opposes you. Because you know that the difficulties that come in your life doesn't mean that God left you. In fact, maybe it means that God is on your side. <laughs> maybe it means that God is trying to do something in and through you. And the enemy is so scared that he decided, I'm going to come for you. That's humility. It's humility that recognizes that this difficulty is tough. But also, you ain't the only one dealing with stuff like this. When Peter says this here, I wonder if it stopped you in your tracks the way it stops me in my tracks when I read it. He tells us to, that we have an adversary, the devil. So he says to resist him, be firm in the faith. And he says, you need to know this, that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the word. In other words, you ain't the only one struggling like this. But many of us in our arrogance think we're the only ones who we're the only ones who got financial issues like this. We're the only ones that got a spouse acting like this. We're the only ones with some kids being like this. We're the only one trying to work full time and go to college. We're the only one trying to trying to navigate caring for our parents while we're trying to care for our kids. We're the only ones. We're the only ones trying to be a single mom, trying to be a single dad. We're the only ones. You're not the only one. And when you humble yourself enough to realize this, maybe then you'll begin to see that maybe God actually has some experience at leading and navigating people through the situation that you think you're one of one in. 
that maybe he's got wisdom and maybe he's got direction. And maybe if you would do what he said, do and humble yourself enough to trust that his principles are good, that his way is right, his word is true. That maybe you'll find yourself making it through some difficulty because you'll realize this opposition doesn't mean I stop trusting God, but I humble myself and realize, God, you've gotten other people through this. You're getting other people through this. And by faith, I believe you're going to get me through this. It's humility. Humble yourselves. See, you humble you when you trust God despite what opposes you. And you humble you. This is the last one and I'm done. You humble you when you trust God ends what pains you. This is the end of the book of First Peter. This thought really comes in the first verse or two that I'll read. And then he just does his goodbyes and see you laters, um, which I want to read as well. So that way some of you can actually complete reading a book of the Bible for real, for real. And so we're going to do it for real. We're going to run all the way and touch the whole baseline. We ain't stopping at the free throw line. No, 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 no. We're getting all the way there with his ladder. He says, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Sylvanus, a brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Can I tell you why misfits are able to operate with humility even though humility isn't what's common, humility isn't what's seen? Because misfits have this firm assurance that God is going to fix it. What Peter said is that he will restore. He himself like God ain't delegating this. He ain't passing this off to somebody else. He didn't assign this to it. God himself will restore you. He will establish you. He will strengthen you and support you. Yes, after you suffered a little while. But God's going to take care of you. All of the New Testament writers spoke of this same thing that we so often forget here in 2023. They spoke of the blessed hope. The hope that they all held to, the hope that they all had was not the hope that they would be wealthier next year than they are this year. Their hope was not that they would be popular. Their hope was not that they would be seen as a success in the eyes of people around them. Their hope was in one thing and one thing alone, that God was gonna make all things right. Their hope was in one thing, that salvation was found in Jesus. And because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, now when they died, they would spend eternity with God. That one day God himself would wipe every tear from their eye. And whatever pained them on this side would not pain them on the other side. That whatever ails them on this side would not ail them on the other side. That the glasses they need on this side, they would not need on the other side. That the cane they may need to walk with, that the pain in their leg, the pain in their back, the hurt in their heart that they experience experience every day on this side would not follow them to the other side. And so you stay humble because you have hope. Because I may hurt for a little while, but I trust that this is not the end. I trust that God is going to do everything he promised to do. How do you humble yourself? Humility is yours when your hope isn't here. 
is him. That's what being a misfit really is. After nine weeks, after five chapters, after nine different sermons, different preachers, can I tell you that's what being a misfit is? Your hope isn't here. It's him. See, misfits uh, can be involved in the political realities of a city or a county or a state or a country. And regardless of who wins, it doesn't wreck their lives. You know why? Because my hope isn't here. It's him. Misfits can find themselves making more money or less money. It's all right. Doesn't matter. My hope isn't here. It's him. Misfits can find themselves healthy in their body or sick in their body. But they can continue to love and serve and bless the Lord at all times and his praise continually be in their mouth. You know why? Because their hope isn't here. It's him. That's a misfit. That doesn't fit in. You're supposed to be mad they took advantage of you. You're supposed to be mad they said that. You're supposed to be mad you're too young to be hurting like this. You're supposed to be mad your employer. You're supposed to be mad at your ex. You're supposed to be mad. No, no, no. My hope isn't here. My hope is in him. The one who judges justly. And the one who gave himself for me. And friends, to live is a misfit. You have to have that hope in him. Today, I believe there's some of you watching, some of you listening. The reality is you don't have that hope. You, you, you like the idea maybe of being a misfit. Maybe you've listened to some of these, watched some of these. Maybe you've taken some notes and been like, oh, this is a good practice. But it's never clicked. It's never made sense. Can I tell you why? The reason why is because your hope is here, not in him. And as long as your hope is here, you will never understand what it means to live as a misfit because our hope is in him. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the resurrected one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who gave himself for us. I may not understand everything on this side, and that's okay. My hope is not here. It's in him. And maybe today some of you would like to know him. Maybe today some of you would like to say, you know what? I want to humble myself. I want to be humble. Humble enough to know that I am not the best leader of my life. I am not the best saver of my soul. I am not the best manager of all things under my management. I need him. I need his help. I need his strength. I need his spirit living inside of me. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself, but I believe he can. And so I humble myself and I receive what he has for me. Can I tell you, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of God's standard. Recognizing that is a step in humility. Salvation comes from no one else but him. Salvation is the free gift of God. It's not by what you do or I do so that no person can boast about it. But if you would say, you know what, today, I need him. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to forgive me. I need Jesus to change me. I want to pray a prayer with you right now because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead, then you shall be saved. And so if you are confessing that and believing that, let's pray in agreement right now and ask Jesus to come and live on the inside of ourselves, humbling us under his salvation, under his lordship, under his leadership. Would you just pray this with me wherever you are? Say, Jesus, today, I humble myself. I receive your gift of salvation.
change me. Forgive me. Save me like only you can. Jesus, give me the strength to humble myself and follow you every day of my life as you show me how. Love you. And I pray all this, Jesus, in your name. And everybody said amen and amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, Christ lives on the inside of you. I'd love for you right now to fill out the yellow card if you're joining us at church online. Send us an email if you're watching this on YouTube or, or listening to the podcast and just say, hey, hey, I just humbled myself and I gave myself to Jesus. Help me take my next step. We'd love to. We'd love to. We'd absolutely love to, because this life of being a misfit is just that, a life of humility, a life that says that my hope isn't here, it's in him. And so I'm going to follow him, I'm going to trust him, and can I tell you, friend, as you've made that decision today, we celebrate with you, but heaven celebrates with you as well.